0: The long path to the throne has only just begun for Aelin Galathinius as war looms on the horizon. Loyalties have been broken and bought, friends have been lost and gained, and those who possess magic find themselves increasingly at odds with those who don't. With her heart sworn to the warrior prince by her side and her fealty pledged to the people she's determined to save, Aelin will delve into the depths of her power to protect those she loves but as monsters emerge from the horrors of the past, dark forces stand poised to claim her world. The only chance for salvation lies in a desperate quest that may take more from Aelin than she has to give, a quest that forces her to choose what and who she's willing to sacrifice for the sake of peace. Hi, and thanks for
1: joining us today. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your host, Nicole. You're listening to the first season of Perfectionist. (music)
0: In this episode, we will be discussing Empire of Storms Part 1, The Firebringer, focusing on one storyline at a time. So we're going to start with Elide and Lorcan's perspectives, then we're going to move on to discuss the story from Manon's perspective. Next, we'll talk about Dorian and Rowan's adventures, and lastly, we will discuss Aelin, Adon and Lysandra's journey. So the
1: very beginning of the book starts off like none of the others, with a prologue. So we get a little snippet before, and it's actually of Elena and Gavin back when they were fighting Erwin. Mm-hmm. So we see them, they're on like a battlefield, they're in like their tents preparing for battle the next morning, and they're discussing like what they're going to do. It's very clear that they are not winning at this point. And Elena comes up with a plan that she thinks they can at the very least Capture Ar- Erowyn. Mm-hmm. At the very least, capture Erowyn and entomb him. So they know he can't be defeated because of Brandon's prophecies or oracles. Sorry. Brandon's oracles have this prophecy and they know he can't be killed. So they're like, the best we can do is entomb him and hope that in the future they can figure out a way to kill him.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that is kind of what the plan is. There's a few key things that we are told about, or I guess they're not necessarily key things. They're just things that I thought were interesting. And one of them was they were talking about Brennan's flame or fire magic and how it was dimming. And I thought that was interesting because Fae are immortal. And I just found it interesting. Is it because he has Mala's flame that it's dimming, like his particular power, or is power in general something that wanes over time? Mm Mm-hmm. So in
0: this series, fading, as they call it, like capital F fading, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's sort of it's mentioned, but it's not actually just about magic. It's about the immortals who die. So immortals can die in this series. It's done differently though in the way that we understand it. As Mm -hmm. they begin to fade, they and then finish fading. I guess they pass into what's called the void, which is the fae version of an afterlife. So, in conclusion, they do die, and that's what the fading is referring to. I guess he must have been, like, extremely old, and he was just starting to fade. Yeah. But it is just in a different way than what we understand it.
1: Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I didn't pick up on that one reading. And it might be one of those things you need to kind of read up on other sites to get the information. Mm Mm-hmm. What did you think about
0: the prologue as a way to begin this book?
1: I liked it. I thought it was cool to see the perspective of Elena because we've seen her so many times, but we've never seen her like perspective, really. We always see her as this kind of guide who pops in and says all these cryptic things and then jumps out of yeah. the scene. And yeah. she's always like fading away just before like the answers get solved. So it's almost frustrating when she comes in because you're like, oh, she's trying to be helpful, but she never really is all that helpful. Mm -hmm. And here (laughs) we're starting to like truly see her perspective. And I Mm -hmm. think that is going to be very important Mm -hmm. as like we finish the book, so we know what happens. So it's, yeah, seeing her perspective and getting things from her side, it ties things together so well. So I think it Mm -hmm. was a perfect way to start the book knowing Mm -hmm. kind of what happens at the end.
0: Definitely. So, moving on to part one, the Firebringer, Elide is making her way to Terrason, Um, and she has the word key that Caltaine had given her before she blew mm-hmm. up Morath. Do you think the word key is helping Elide and making her more in tune with her senses?
1: I was starting to get that like idea that some that maybe she was, because as Lorcan's like stalking her, she seems to be very aware of it in a way that maybe she wouldn't have before and seems to be in tune to her surroundings more so than she was previously. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if it has something to do with the word key and it kind of giving her, amplifying her natural instincts Mm -hmm. in some way. Did you get the same sense or did you have a different reason for why she was so in tune to what was going on?
0: I think that that explanation makes a lot more sense than kind of what was going on in my mind at the time. What was mm-hmm. going on in my mind at the time was just that she's now aware that she has like witch blood in her and maybe, mm-hmm. maybe her senses are more in tune with her surroundings than she previously realized. But she's also been put into kind of like an actual survival situation. She's stumbling through Oakwald, I believe the forest, trying to mm-hmm. get North to Terrison, and that'll, with anybody make you a lot more keen and aware of your surroundings because you're so vulnerable out in the wild. So that's kind of like what I was thinking Mm and in in combination with her blood line. But I think the word key probably that probably makes more sense. And Lorcan, he is stalking and hunting her, but he can smell like a smell on her, like Mm -hmm. in the air. And he thinks she has a demon inside of her. We know that it's the word key, Uh, but he doesn't know that. So that's really interesting. Yes, thankfully, because that's why he's over here is to look for word keys. But he has no idea that that's what Mm -hmm. creating that scent.
1: Speaking of scents, (laughs) we get a description of what a light smells like. So if you listen to some of our previous episodes, you would know this is something I'm a little bit fixated on is how people smell, (laughs) which sounds really weird out of context. But (laughs) Elide is said to smell of cinnamon and elderberries. So of course I had to look up what are cinnamon and elderberries scents kind of known for. Mm -hmm. And cinnamon is said to bring peace and prosperity and allegedly has the ability to ward off evil spirits. And I think all of that is quite fitting with Elide's character. She seems to be a bit gentle in a way like she's got a fear fierceness to her but at the same time she seems a bit more peaceful mm-hmm. than some of the other characters and a bit like more reserved maybe yeah but what stuck out more to me is the elderberry it's something that's packed with antioxidants and vitamins and is known to like help boost immune systems which could play a role but in regards to its scent it is said to be musky and very unappealing to some people. Mm -hmm. So some people find, like, depending on, like, how ripe the berry is, some people say it's a nice scent, and other people think it's a very disgusting scent. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was an interesting way to just, like, put her... I thought it was interesting that she would be described as smelling like elderberry when it is such a controversial smell. And also can be confused... Like um, the the berry visual of it can be confused with poisonous hemlock, which I'm like, what are you trying to say? Right, maybe that's more why she chose it
0: because of its mm-hmm. unassuming. It looks- yeah.
1: Assuming actually, that
0: that place. really, really fits, I think, with her character. The poison is sort of like disguised like as this innocent thing that might have a, you know, it's <laughs> debatable on whether it smells good or not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but actually, it could kill you. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> When I was reading about her scent, when it said elderberries, I kind of recoiled a little because Mm -hmm. one of my favorite movies when I was a kid was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, And in it, there's a quote where it says, you know, your mother was a hamster and your father smelled of elderberries and it's flung as an insult (laughs) towards King Arthur. So (laughs) I just thought it was so interesting that Sarah chose elderberries as one of Elide's scents because Mm -hmm. immediately that quote sprang to mind
1: and I was like, she smells bad. (laughs) Yeah. And I imagine she also was aware of that quote and that this is all being done for a specific purpose. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, poor Elide. I (laughs) know. Smelly, smelly scent. (laughs) I really, I'm so curious to smell elderberries now. Well, there's elderberry perfumes. So, I mean, obviously at some point it smells pleasant.
0: Yeah, it must be some point in its life cycle that it smells okay cuz so you know uh, deadly nightshade or belladonna. Mm-hmm. We have some of that growing we've been eradicating it from our garden, but it 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 grows natively around here. And mm-hmm. when you um break the stem, it smells horrific. Like oh. it smells so repulsive. So it makes me curious as to how maybe an elderberry Smells and yeah. actually also poison hemlock, but I'm not going to go looking for any of that. No, so <laughs> but but it makes me curious, though.
1: No, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: So Lorcan's magic is unlike anybody else's magic that we've come across so far in this series,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so we do learn in this book that Lorcan is directly descended from Hellas which is where he gets his power from. So Hellas is like a, a god, and he rules the underworld with, quote-unquote, an iron grip. Mm-hmm. So Lorcan is kind of, is. would we call him a demigod? Like,
1: Oh, I wonder if it's a direct... He is directly descend- descended from, directly. from Hellas, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a demigod. In mm-hmm. other universes, that would, I think, be described as a demigod. So that being said, because at
0: first I thought, well, he, you know, obviously he's very special because he's Demi Faye, but he is allowed in Dorinel. So he's obviously very special. And then obviously he's got the blood oath and everything mm-hmm. to Maeve. And obviously she only chooses who she thinks is the best for that. Mm-hmm. But to learn that he's actually descended from a, the ruler of the underworld, um, like he has his blood.
1: Yeah. Um, That makes him a really powerful character. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I know he kind of scares me a little bit. (laughs) There's something incredibly intimidating. Like the other, all the Fae are supposed to be, I think, somewhat intimidating. But there's something different about him. He definitely, the fact that he is a descendant of Hellas, like he exudes that. Even before you know that, Mm -hmm. he does give off that slightly evil... Mm-hmm. essence even mm-hmm. though he's not an evil character there's mm-hmm. just a darkness to him mm-hmm.
0: once i had discovered that he was descended from hellas i it explained a lot obviously mm-hmm. about him but it it just made him such an interesting character because we haven't really come across like a demigod type situation so directly you know, mm-hmm. in this story where they're actually, like, alive.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, we're getting these, like, well, I guess Elena's not a god of any sort, but we, we've we heard of other gods, like, mm-hmm. in passing. But this is the first kind of more direct, like he said, interaction with yeah. a demigod god creature.
0: Yeah. In present-day terms, sort of. Yeah. Like present-day yeah. to throne of glass.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the interesting dynamic between Allied and Lorcan beyond just like their general dynamics with each other, which we'll talk about a bit later, is that we know Allied has the word key, as we mentioned. But one thing we, I don't think, mentioned in our previous episode is that Lorcan actually took back the ring of Athril. So he had traded it for the amulet, but he ended up taking it back and stealing it back. So he has the ring, which is protection against Valg, but I don't know if that has anything to do with protection against word keys. So I thought that kind of went through my mind is, if Elide is being somehow influenced by, or like she's able to influence people using the word key, does that not affect him because he has the ring? Like, is their dynamic going to be different? because oh, that's he kind of really has good like question. a power against her. Right. Which I don't even think throughout, I didn't really get an answer even by the end of the book if that played a role, but I wonder if reading through a second time, you would be able to pick up on things that yeah. kind of allude to that or if it just, they don't actually interact with each other because it's not, she's not actually a valve; she just has a word key.
0: Yeah. That is an extremely good question, yeah. Because Athril's ring, or the ring of Athril or whatever, <clears throat> it provides immunity from the Valg. So the word mm-hmm. key is directly related to the Valg. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a really good question. If anyone mm-hmm. knows, yeah, please let, let us, us know. That's a really good question. So while they're kind of on their journey to go where they need to get, <laughs> the <laughs> Ilkin... <can laughs> so informative <laughs> the ilkin uh which are hunters for erewan if you haven't gotten that they're kind of part human horrible creatures they attack um allied and allied <clears throat> is surprisingly although she appears harmless and you know she's got her limp and everything she's surprisingly cunning mm-hmm so she is using all of her brains to get away and she comes up with this really clever plan where she actually at least kind of confuses the Ilkin I guess you could say enough to mm-hmm. the point to make them hesitate enough that she is able to get away. Yeah. Um you know she's she she's basically like you have disrupted me on my mission. And they're like, whoa, what? (laughs) Like as if she's somehow on their side, but a higher level, whatever, Mm -hmm. like maybe even possessed by a Valg. (laughs) So Lorcan, who has been stalking her and watching her this whole time, he kind of gets involved at this point.
1: Mm -hmm. I wonder if this was a bit of the word key helping her with her power of persuasion. She seems to be able to convince for a short period of time, the Ilkin. And I got the sense that that was because of the word key, kind of helping her. Not that she doesn't already possess those skills, but maybe, again, it's kind of heightening it a bit.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. They end up agreeing to travel together for protection. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this was a smart choice?
1: I wasn't the biggest fan of it at first. Cause he just, like I said, when I first was introduced to or not first introduced, but like his character at the beginning of this book kind of scared me. So it was a little, un I felt uneasy for her to be paired up mm-hmm. with him. But as the story progresses, I I think it was a good choice for her in the sense that he did provide her the protection that he said, like he, he keeps his word. That's one thing you can count on for him is if he says he's going to do something, he'll do it in mm-hmm. maybe the most brutish way possible, but he will get it done.
0: Mm-hmm. So I,
1: I do, I did enjoy their story as it progressed, but I was a little concerned for her at first. I was like, mm, this is the best choice. Yeah.
0: Lorcan has grown on me. Actually. <laughs> I, I actually found that I was so excited when I got to their chapters because because um, he is sort of this unknown and there is that darkness about him. And Mm -hmm. so that alone adds so much tension because it feels like Elide's in
1: constant danger. And they're on opposite sides. Mm -hmm. Like he wants to take her to Aelin because he wants to go to Aelin. Whereas she thinks he, like, I don't know. They're, they're very much on opposite sides. They're,
0: yeah, the reason they want and to get to Aelin reason. is conflicting with each yes. other. Thank
1: you. You're welcome. Well put. <laughs> <laughs> so, in their quest to get to where they need to be, <laughs> Lorcan and Elide have been traveling undercover with a performance troupe. So, I believe Lorcan's like a, a knife thrower in this yeah. troupe. and yeah. Elide is a fortune teller. Yes. So that, that that's their cover, and they're husband and wife, Mm -hmm. which creates its own interesting conflicts, because eventually they need to share a tent together as a husband and wife would do. Mm -hmm. And we kind of see a progression of their relationship as they have to pretend to be these characters. What did you think about their relationship as it went from just this agreement to them then having to kind of pretend to be in a certain situation?
0: I really enjoyed that aspect of the story because mm-hmm. Lorcan is such a, like a physically and magically powerful character and allied, although, you know, she's a really interesting character in my opinion. And she has such a, a long history regarding what had happened in Terrason. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, I feel sorry for her because she's got this, this mangled leg and everything. And so um, I like that it went in the direction that it did because i just i just i don't know i was just really digging in like i say i was excited to read their chapters
1: (laughs) yeah and his protection kind of goes from being like i agreed to this to i think he like truly deep down wanted to protect her for Mm -hmm. the person she became or like Mm -hmm. the person he grew to know yeah which he ends up discovering who she actually is speaking of like the person who he comes to know Mm-hmm. So she's been going under her mom's name as a way to kind of disguise who she that's is right. because for her safety. And there comes a point where the Ilkin again attack. And during this process, at some point, Lorcan figures out the Ilkin are specifically seeking out Allied. So that's how he kind of discovers her true identity.
0: Yes, because he has no idea that like all of Morath essentially is after her. Well, not all of Morath, but Mm -hmm. they they do want her because of her uncle. (laughs) So it's, yeah. I I understand her not explaining to Lorcan why, Mm -hmm. you know, for her own safety and stuff. But I also
1: feel like a heads up would
0: have been good too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. For the person who's trying to protect you, maybe give them the information so they can protect you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That wraps up. Allied and Lorcan's kind of part four, part one. So we're going to move
0: on now, and we're going to talk about Manon's storyline. So Manon and her grandma, the matron, are summoned by Duke Parrington, who has changed bodies, by the way. He decided that he didn't want to wear old Duke Parrington's skin anymore, and mm-hmm. I, I believe he has chosen a younger body to to infest himself into. <laughs> um, yes. At this point, he's still calling himself Duke Parrington, which is, I find somewhat confusing, but <laughs> yeah, Manon, he ends up revealing to the matron and Manon that he is indeed Erewhon, the Bell King. So in the past, Erewhon has waited until Brannon's light had dimmed enough to attack. Do you think the only way to kill him will be with Aelin's
1: fire? At that point in the story, I that was how I thought it was going to go down. I thought that her fire was kind of the key to everything. Mm-hmm. Having finished, I now know that that is not the case. But in this moment, I thought there was something super special about her fire that made it so that he would be able to, or she would be able to, sorry, Uh, use it to kind of end the final battle. Mm -hmm. What about you? Did you have any thoughts on how things were going to go down at this point? Well,
0: because all Valg have an aversion to fire, as I've, I've quoted off of the Throne of Glass wiki online, I think that given that we also find out that Aelin isn't just descended from Brannon but she also has Mala Firebringer's uh, like she's actually descended from Mala because Mala Firebringer was Elena's mother Like we discover this mm-hmm. in this story so she she is extraordinarily powerful with her fire magic gift it's already quite a thing to have Brannon's gift but to also have Mala's blood in her as well I think that makes her that puts her in a very extraordinary place, and I do think that I, I kind of do f- feel that at this point we're ma- kind of looking at Ailyn like she's the chosen one.
1: Mm-hmm. She
0: has so, chosen one vibes
1: for sure. Yeah, I mean they I even think, say the queen who was promised. Yes. In so, previous books, they talked about that being a like a phrase that was used.
0: Yeah. So that seems very chosen one. Very chosen one-like. And so I think that they are particularly averse to Aelin's magic just because it is so strong. So much stronger than normal fire magic, if you could call mm-hmm. it that,
1: uh, is. But if Brandon couldn't kill him, Erwin, then... Ailyn probably can't just using her magic either.
0: No, but ag- again, she does have the Mala part too, whereas Brandon mm-hmm. didn't. Right.
1: So yeah, he was like blessed by Mala, but didn't necessarily have Mala's. Well, obviously, didn't have Mala's actual blood. Right. But just whereas her, like her Mala was her love. elena's actual
0: mother. Yeah. So maybe that comes into play. There is a quote in the book that says, why do you think you burn so brightly? It is not just Brandon's blood that is in your veins, but malice. Mm. That's in page 366, Empire Storms, <laughs> if you guys are wondering. And if you want to go check that out and form your own conclusions or thoughts as to what this could mean. Um, so meanwhile, Erowyn is sending a Wyvern attack on to Rifthold. And he has sent the Yellow Legs heir's coven and wants Manon to assist in the fight.
1: hmm Yeah, It's the Waverns, Manon takes the Waverns, and they get there and the battle's already started. And so we we do end up seeing this battle from Dorian's perspective. And it happens before in the actual timeline of the book. But since we're talking about Ms. Manon's storyline, we're just going to kind of jump into when she joins the battle And thankfully for Dorian, she joins just as he's about to die. You'll have to wait to hear our thoughts on that. And she ends up saving his life by doing something kind of out of, not really out of character, but kind of out of character for a witch, but not maybe necessarily for Manon. She attacks another witch. She attacks one of the yellow-like witches and kills them Mm -hmm. because they were about to kill Dorian. So she Mm -hmm. chooses to kill one of her own kind to save him. Which is pretty incredible, Yes. and I think it's saying something. I, at it that moment, at that
0: moment, I thought, "Oh, that's her mate," and so she's not going to let him die.
1: That was just my thought. Maybe I'm wrong, though. Don't think I am, but <laughs> I, there seems to be something between them. There was a quote around that time saying, "Some ancient predatory part of her awoke at the half smile." The half smile being a smile from Dorian. It sat up, cocking its ears towards him, not a whiff of fear. So Dorian wasn't scared of her in that moment, even though she just like brutally killed somebody and is riding in on a wavering. But the part that I think got me was the predatory part awoke in her. And like you said, like the mate thing, it's like something clicked in her and she Mm -hmm. had to save him. Mm -hmm. And it was beyond her control. Which, no, I agree. That's sounding very mate like to me from what I've discovered about these whole fated mates. Yes. And I think also this scene, coupled with the scene of them meeting while he was under Val control, Mm -hmm. is really speaking to the fact that there's something between them that is beyond just regular interaction. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that he was actually able to push
0: push out past the Valg. Yes, the Valg shrank back because of the Valg king's eyes that Menon has, mm-hmm. or sank back, I guess, recoiled, is I think the way it was described. But still, a lot of people who are infested by Valg, they end up being lost forever. So mm-hmm. he actually was able to come out and take control of his body whilst being infested by a Valg prince to speak to Menon. I think that says a lot. I think,
1: yeah, I agree. That says a lot.
0: So there is a lot of fallout that happens from this. Um, mm-hmm. She has killed a witch. The yellow legs. They flew home to tattle on Menon as fast as they could. So, in order to punish Manon, her, they they it ends up being decided that they are going to sentence Astrin, her second. To death.
1: Mm-hmm. So, like an eye for an
0: eye. An eye for an eye, right? So, this is obviously ex- this. Uh, I really like Astrin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, when this happened, I was so dismayed. Were you?
1: I think this covers two chapters, like this whole scene yeah. of. Yeah. I think I cried the entire two chapters. I was so, like, I couldn't put the book down. I was just, like, so emotional. This was the first scene in the book that was, like, really hard-hitting for me. And it happens pretty early on in the mm-hmm. linear storyline. And I just, I couldn't stop crying. I was so emotionally taken by everything that was happening throughout this scene. Yeah, And I just kept thinking, like, this has to be it. This has to be the moment. She can't. Like, this can't happen. What Like, and I just had a million thoughts going through my mind about, like, this can't be it. This can't actually be happening. Like, it was so incredibly overwhelming to read this.
0: I know. And also to think everything that Astrid has been through that Manon only just recently discovered, and now Mm -hmm. this. And Astrid just accepts her fate, too. She's like... Just do it because Minon asks to be the one to kill her, and they're like, yeah. fine, fine. <laughs> it's but. like
1: the only thing she can do is to make sure her death is a quick and swift death. It's like exactly the, that's how it, I to give can her make a
0: sure. gift essentially, exactly a, the gift of a clean death.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, which can you imagine? Like, that is absolutely heartbreaking in and of itself to think that to have the strength to do that. We just watched
0: an episode of The Last Kingdom where this type of situation happened. Mm. It's awful.
1: In this moment, Manon does have a big character shift. And it's been coming. We've been getting those tiny hints all the way throughout that things have been shifting for her. Witches have three kind of codes that they live by. Obedience, discipline, and brutality. And this has come up several times for Manon. And mm-hmm. in that moment, she's like, maybe we don't have to be obedient. Maybe we don't have to be disciplined. And maybe we don't have to be brutal. And she makes the ultimate sacrificial choice to tell her 13 to run, to not kill Astron, but instead to attack her grandma. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, I put the book, like this was the end of one chapter. She like takes her blade and slices her grandma. And I thought grandma was done for. I 100% thought that she killed the matron in this moment. And I like put the book down and texted you. I don't even remember what I texted you, (laughs) but I texted you something that might've been the picture of my face crying. Yes. (laughs) Yes, that's what it was. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I was just like, so distraught, but like so much like, yeah, you get grandma. She so deserves it. But that is not actually what happens. No, it goes grandma, so much deeper than that. Grandma is a tough cookie. <laughs> she
0: refuses to die. <laughs> refuses. <laughs> ah. That's like bringing up so much emotion just talking about oh, it. Oh, I know. It was really in- intense. Like, as we keep saying, like, this is an mm-hmm. intense book. But it's really, I think, cool how... Because this has been building towards this since we first meet Manon. When we first meet her, she is brutal. She has zero compassion. She she is just this really brutal character, and she lives by the code. But as the books have been going on, we're seeing this other side of her, and it seems inevitable. And her 13, interestingly, are on the same page with her, if not a little ahead of her mm-hmm. in that department. I agree. Yeah.
1: I think they're definitely ahead, especially Astrin.
0: Yes, yeah. So, Grandma reveals, or the matron, I guess we should say. <laughs> yeah, sorry, right. I just put, <laughs> that's okay. So, the matron reveals that Minon's father was a Kroken prince. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so this unexpected. is massive. Because Minon, we th- we thought she was a Blackbeak. Mm-hmm. She's the, heir to the Black Beak. she's the heir to the Blackbeak. She's the heir to the Blackbeak clan. But she's got this Kraken blood, and then she loved who lo- the her father rather loved her mother and her witches don't love. Okay, no. so this is this is big news, and that Manon is the key to breaking the curse on the land, and that the Kraken witch that she killed in the Farian Gap for the cloak that her uh, matron ordered her to kill to get the cloak.
1: That was her half-sister. Oh, that part just, whew. You, like, I had to, I think I even went back and rescanned scanned that section. Because mm-hmm. I was just like, oh my gosh, to be confronted with that reality that you, one, are half Crokin, two, royalty, yes. three, had a sister, and by the way, you killed her.
0: You know, in that scene where she had to kill that Kroken girl, mm-hmm. she you could tell that she wasn't, like, happy to do it, right? She yeah. did have—there was reluctance there, but she was under orders to do it. Mm-hmm, and that— exactly. The things that that w- woman said to her before she died, like, because I think that obviously made a big impact on Manon, but I wonder mm-hmm. if it made a little bit of a bigger impact because somehow she could sense a familial bond there.
1: Oh, maybe. maybe. not. Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't remember, the big thing that she kept saying, the, the crock in which that was killed, is they made you. Yes. Like talking made. about those code of ethics that the witches have, the obedience, discipline, and brutality, you, you were made into that. So it's like, it doesn't have to be this way.
0: Yeah, you weren't born that way, mm-hmm. right? So this is when we find out that Manon is the Kroken queen.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, because she's the last living bloodline because her, she killed her sister who mm-hmm. was also living. But at this point, she's literally the last person who has the blood of the original Kroken queen from when the curse was set, whose name is Rhiannon. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but that's, I think so. Yeah. And she's a, direct descendant of Queen Rhiannon, making her a croc and queen because she's the only one left. Mind blown.
0: What? Mind blown. No, that Why was, do you uh, think
1: her, her matron,
0: like how did that all happen?
1: <laughs> I think her grandma wanted to make her heir because she wanted to keep her in line. Knowing she was the key, her grandma knew she was the key, which is kind of weird because like, you would think that even her, the matron would want the curse to be lifted and would be encouraging whatever needs to happen for that to go forth. But I think she, in a way, did the opposite and made sure that Manon didn't find the softer side or did everything she could to prevent Manon from fulfilling her destiny. And I think mm-hmm. that's why she kept her so close.
0: Yeah. Yes. You're, I think you're this right. the whole
1: situation. It's just, wow. Very, very overwhelmingly emotional oh,
0: just <laughs> intense
1: <laughs> intense word but of the episode intense. word of the episode
0: so during all of this conflict where the 13 are like battling their way out and Minon is all weight you know slicing her grandmother with sword yeah
1: <laughs> that, having that. a discussion while battling at the yeah. same
0: time like it's <laughs> She she gets like seriously injured. Her grandma and her nasty rusted claws. Yeah. The way her they gut. described her claws, I was like, ooh, she's disgusting. Oh,
1: like <laughs>
0: yeah, that was my first thought. Like, is tetanus a thing in this world?
1: Yeah, I don't think be so. <laughs>
0: <a> big problem. <laughs> but like, she she let her claws get all rusty, and I think it's just because it inflicts even more damage.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: she swipes Menon's abdomen to the point where her guts are almost coming out. Like, it's yeah. quite a bad abdominal injury. And yeah. she manages to get away on Abraxas, uh, who yeah, flies she, I, to the forest, though.
1: I feel like Manon at this point is just like, I don't want her to have the satisfaction, so I'm just going to hurl myself off the, yeah. the top of the building. And, of course, Abraxas is there to catch her.
0: But that's not the end, because then there's a really intense chase scene. Mm-hmm. It keeps going. A, yes, where Abraxas' tiny body is it actually gives them a big advantage because they're able to dip into a gap right. that the other ones can't can't fit in with their wingspans. <laughs> they yeah. just can't. So, yeah. So a, a really nice detail that you end up finding out about Abraxis just because it's like, why did she end up with this tiny little wyvern? But it's this. it gives him lots of agility advantages. And mm-hmm. in this case, it saved Manon's life.
1: Yeah. And they're so well bonded. And you can see that here where he's there exactly where she needs him to be. Mm-hmm. It's like they have some sort of like telepathic connection. I don't yeah. think they do, but it's it's almost like that in a way. They're just it reminds so well me
0: a bit of House of the Dragon. Uh, did you watch House of the Dragon?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It reminds me a bit of House of the Dragon. Like, you know, where ranira Ranira I'm getting all my names confused in all these <laughs> fantasy worlds where she's giving, is it Rhaenyra, where she's giving birth? I think so. Um, the, where the main character is giving birth and her dragon is, is screaming in sync with her as that's happening. Mm-hmm. And there, because I have that deep connection and that just kind of reminds, it reminds me a lot of like the connections that the witches have with their wyverns, especially uh, that first, um, I'm trying to remember her name, I think it was a blue blood witch. Petra. Yeah, Petra. When her wyvern died, and how mm-hmm. it completely changed her, it was sort yeah. of like she had lost a piece of herself. So I, I really yeah. like that. That's a thing with these witches who are supposed to be so unfeeling and cold.
1: Yeah, the blue, bu- the blue bloods in particular seem to be a bit more feeling.
0: Yeah, a yeah. little
1: bit more. I think Lucy the black, the black,
0: yeah. I think the black beaks are the most intense, brutal, mm-hmm. brutality-wise.
1: And I think the, the yellow legs are kind of a bit more sneaky, but in a slightly less honorable way. Yeah, is the sense I get. And yeah, then same. The blue bloods think they're kind of a bit better than everyone. They're like the cheerleaders of the. they they're,
0: they're blue blooded.
1: Not the cheerleaders. Their <laughs> their very
0: name seems yeah. like they would think that they're better, but. While she's fleeing in in really bad shape, she's attacked by another one of Erewhon's monsters, a bloodhound. And boy, the way that this creature is described is unsettling, to say the least.
1: Very intense. And it has yeah. wings, which makes it way, way more fierce and
0: mm-hmm. I don't know, scary. Despite the fact that this bloodhound is a very worthy adversary, especially considering she's so gravely injured, because Minon is a pretty Mm -hmm. badass chick when she's at full capacity. Mm -hmm. She does manage to very narrowly escape.
1: She gets out of there.
0: She does. So we're going to leave Minon's story for now, and now we're going to move on to Dorian and Rowan.
1: Dorian. So Dorian is in Rifthold. He's now in the stone castle, because as we heard in the Queen of Shadows, the the glass castle was destroyed. So it's just the stone castle left. And he's really kind of trying to come to terms with what's going on, everything that has happened, having been infested by the Valve, having killed his father. And one of the things that kind of we understand or come to know is that his dad was infested by the Valg when Dorian and his brother were conceived, Mm because it happened when he was like in his early 20s. And that led me to wonder about Dorian's biology, and if his father being infested by the Valg somehow altered his biology in some way, Mm -hmm. and even more so with his brother, because his brother's evil he's straight up an evil person yeah but was that because of the valg
0: i think either way it could be said that it was because of the valg whether it's a biological reason or because his father was infested by a valg and therefore presented very evilly Mm -hmm. (laughs) and being raised by that kind of man not that they're necessarily raised by like royalty isn't necessarily raised by their Respective mothers or fathers, mm-hmm. it's quite often like a nanny or something, <laughs> you know, but I think regardless, yes, his brother's probably evil because of maybe like a natural um, inclination to be evil, but also reinforced by his father's mm-hmm. evilness. Whether part of the valve biologically was passed on to him is a really good question. And I did a lot of research last night and couldn't find anything confirming or denying that. But Hmm. there's a lot of theories about it out there. So I think that's a really good question.
1: Interesting. Oh, I hope one day somebody will be able to get the answer.
0: Yes. (laughs) Because
1: I'm very curious (laughs) to know. I feel like I read somewhere that Sarah was writing a book about the universe of throne of glass, but I don't think that book ever was finished. And I'm not no. sure if she ever intends on finishing it. Cause I was looking it up and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is perfect. It's just kind of like a history of, I can't remember exactly if that's what it was called, but I think that's was essentially the idea was like the history of Ardalan maybe. And I don't think it ever came to be. Oh, that's too bad. Cause I would totally buy that book. Yes. I have I know, other and- books to
0: other worlds that are like that and they come with pedigrees inside like for each character's lineage mm-hmm. and all the history and it is so fascinating and it would be really good for this series because it's such an in- intensive and just there's so much to it that mm-hmm. I think I think that would be a fantastic
1: addition to this to this I whole know. series. I was so excited when I first saw it and then just like heartbroken when I realized it never came Came to be. be. And as far as I know, I'm pretty sure it says on her website that at this point, she doesn't have any plans to continue the Throne of Glass series. Although in the past, in the interview I was listening to, she did say there was more stories she wanted to tell in this universe or world. So I don't know. Maybe at some point when she – because she's so busy with other things. She is very busy. Maybe she'll come back to it eventually. But I hope so because I'm just being introduced to it now and I want to know more already. Yeah.
0: Well, she has three really good series out there. I can't even imagine Mm -hmm. her brain and everything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Amazing.
1: No, at least I have the knowledge of knowing that I can at least go to another series of hers to get Mm -hmm. more – Bill. Mm-hmm. So, going back
0: to Dorian, um, Nikki mentioned that he's in the stone castle trying to come to terms with everything that's happened. Meanwhile, the yellow leg witches attack on their wyverns, and he manages to, uh, well, he's using his magic to fight them off, and he's on the balcony and he's like just zapping them out of the air, essentially. That's
1: how I pictured it, too. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But it's it's crazy because he can hear his city, like told, he can hear this horror unfolding from all of these poor people, citizens who can't defend themselves. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have much control over his magic. He doesn't know much about his magic. Like he's only really just come to terms that he even has magic. And that is when the witch that we mentioned before that got Manon in big trouble because Manon mm-hmm. killed her. She arrives and is about to kill Dorian. And that's when Manon shows up and saves his butt.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that was good timing for her. <laughs> hmm
0: At that point, Rowan shows up and he starts to choke the air out of Manon, which... Isn't an ability that I had kind of considered that he could do before this? And I was like, oh, yeah, he controls the air. So that makes sense. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. intense. But Dorian tells or commands Rowan to stop. Let her live. She saved my life kind of thing. So it's kind of like life debt for life debt traded in that moment. And Mm -hmm. then Rowan takes Dorian and they escape through that stairwell that secret stairwell that we've heard so much about in previous novels Mm
1: -hmm. they end up going down into kind of the area where selena slash aelin would sneak out to from her bedroom we like down through there and they get into a little rowboat and they hide dorian and rowan uses his magic to push them out to sea And the first thing I kind of thought about when I, when Rome was first initially like sent to Dorian, I was like, oh, I wonder if they'll use their time together to practice magic. And that is exactly what they do. And Dorian asks, like, oh, Rowan, can you like teach me a bit about magic? And he's like, you have something called raw magic. And I don't know a lot about it, but I'll teach you what I can. So we kind of get to see them practicing, but we also get to finally learn what this type of magic Dorian has because it was so confusing at the beginning because he was seemingly able to do all these things. Yeah. It was kind of like, oh, his magic is ice. Oh, it's super Mm -hmm.
0: strength. Oh, it's (laughs) dot, dot, dot. Turns out that raw magic is exactly, it's self-explanatory. It's raw. So it sounds like you can kind of make it do what you want it to do.
1: mm Mm-hmm. And there's a whole bunch of different things. They kind of list ice, flame, healing, heightened sense, strength. And it says perhaps shape-shifting. And I thought it was interesting that they used, they kind of threw in that perhaps shape-shifting. And I'm like, yes, I really, really hope at some point in the story, we see Dorian utilize a shape-shifting ability to some extent. I think that would be really cool.
0: I feel that Dorian has this massive untapped potential. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really I mean, he's interesting a lot to see. Yeah. Well, and if it does turn out that he's mates with Manon, um, I think that many, that mates are probably. Well, <laughs> this is just something I I believe, but maybe I'm wrong. But I do feel that mates <laughs> are maybe their equals or other halves. So given that we know Manon is so powerful, yeah, she needs someone up who's equal, right? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. No. Do you have any? inklings as to why ice was his kind of first emerging power and seems to be his dominant power no do you (laughs) no i don't that's why i wanted to ask you because i was like (laughs) i wonder if there's a reason for it or maybe it's just like we needed to pick something no one has ice power so we'll make his ice for some it could just be for some difference in power and utilizing something that no one else has or it could be a major major plot point later down you never know with these stories
0: Maybe Dorian has felt so cold and alone for so
1: long that his raw magic comes out as ice at first. I maybe. <laughs> I mean, but, it could be. I mean, right? alyn is very, like, fiery in her personality. And Dorian, he can be a little bit of a playboy, but, like, mm-hmm. is quite reserved. So maybe that is part of it. Could be. Could be.
0: So they're sailing to Skull's Bay, which is an interesting location, given Assassin's Blade and everything that happened there.
1: Yes, Uh, why oh why was that chosen? Yes. So
0: they do make it there, and they meet with Captain Rolf, if you recall Captain Rolf from Assassin's Blade, and he Mm -hmm. tells Dorian and Rowan that Parrington is making sea wyverns. I'm
1: so excited about the sea wyverns! So...
0: I'm trying to imagine a sea wyvern. <laughs> are we just imagining a dragon, but with no legs, But and the wings are, like, just big fins then? Is that what
1: we're imagining? I, I don't know if I imagined it in that. I think I just imagined a regular wyvern under the water, which okay. doesn't make sense. <laughs> I was imagining it, like, sleeker and
0: longer, like, moving through the water like this maybe mm-hmm. like kind of like an eel for those of you who are listening over a podcast thing rather than
1: yeah watching the youtube it's like an ogopogo for those canadians out there yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> mixed with like a loch ness monster but yeah. with bigger fins yes
0: <laughs> cuz have you ever seen a manta ray go through the water mm-hmm. And the way they kind of, it looks like they're flying, kind of. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering if that's how they would then move their fin thin wing thing. That's how I was imagining it. Mm-hmm. Make it look like they're flying through the water.
1: Yeah. I think when I was imagining it, like, the water just kind of didn't exist. It was almost like they were in <laughs> air but under the ships. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> My brain's weird. It's okay. <laughs> so we also get a bit of a sneaky surprise on Skulls Bay because Gabriel and Fenris show are, are on Skulls Island. They're just there, chilling. We're like, dudes, what what are you doing? Why are you here? They were <laughs> they ended up being sent by Maeve to hunt down Lorcan and to kill him. Mm-hmm. So that's a turn of events. Mm-hmm. It's kind of nice because we're getting to see a bit more of the powerful fey males mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they end up agreeing to fight for Aelin in exchange for information on Lorcan. so they're like we don't have to find them right away so they're trying to be like sneaky and get around the blood oath orders because I don't well, the think they want to kill him
0: yeah I was going to say the thing is, is I don't think
1: so the blood oath
0: for them sucks because they're essentially slaves to Maeve mm-hmm. and whatever she commands them to do but it is explained in this book that the distance between them and Maeve can make a difference in how they can kind of get around the wording of the Blood Oath. Mm-hmm. So, because Maeve is quite far away, they are like, oh, loophole, and they kind of jump through mm-hmm. it. So, because Lorcan, Gabriel, Fanris, and Rowan were all part of the cadre, mm-hmm. uh, I would have to assume over the years they have bonded in some form. You know, so mm-hmm. to to be sent to, to kill one of their own, essentially, can't imagine that that would be an easy thing for them to swallow. Yeah. I also wanted okay. to mention that she has sent two of her cadre to kill Lorcan. Two. Mm-hmm. I think that speaks to how powerful he is.
1: No, that's a really good point. I also think at some point it's mentioned that they seem to be maybe a little less into their blood oath than when they initially took it. Fenris, he hates the blood oath. He didn't take it because he wanted to. He took it to protect his brother. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, like he will take any opportunity to defy it that he possibly can. But I think I'm getting the sense that the others, they, like, it's just such a toxic relationship that they have with Maeve. But mm-hmm. I think part of them at least a part of them, are kind of over it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. One final thing that is important to note in regards to Gabriel being there is that he's told he has a son. So Rowan says, your son is here. He's with Aelin. And I think that is what ultimately sways them to side Mm -hmm. with her. Mm -hmm. And it becomes kind of... It's like a thread that just continues throughout the story. Yeah. But at this point, we're going to travel all the way back to the beginning one final time and tie everything together with the last storyline.
0: At this point, at the very beginning of the book, now that we've rewound in time, Ailen, Adian, Lysandra, Rowan, Evangeline, and Fleetfoot are on their way to Terrasson we get to have a little insight into the romance that has been blooming between Aelin and Rowan, and There's a little spicy scene. <laughs> and as they are making their way, they're kind of making camp as they head towards Terrasen. The little folk continue to leave gifts for Aelin. If you remember, they did this actually when she was coming back from Endovir. They mm-hmm. were leaving gifts for her and they're continuing to do this. And this time they left her a crafted wyvern so we end up finding out later because it is these little folk like they're like these random little how do they like how do they know what to to say like do they have just eyes everywhere do they have some kind of like telepathy to w- see the future <laughs> yeah and like uh, and then also a way to communicate over great distances with each other mm. my my thoughts were actually like is it like in avatar where it's like all of the trees are connected and like the roots and everything. They're like sending messages. through. Like That'd be so cute. I know. That's kind of where my mind went. As it turns out though, later we find out it was actually Brannon, like ghost Brannon. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was doing it. He was the one initiating all of that. And I really like that. We found that out just because I just want to mention it is so satisfying reading an author who is tying up loose ends as you go.
1: Yes, you're like, why? It can why? be so frustrating and you don't understand.
0: I know. And, and the thing is, is I'm starting to feel the sense of trust with this author, with Sarah, because it seems like, well, why? Well, you know what? We'll probably find out. You don't get mm-hmm. that with all authors. I read a book for book my book club a few weeks ago, and I was like, okay, we'll probably find out why. I, I just said that about five times as I was reading this book. <laughs>
1: We never found out why of anything. Yeah. So she, yeah. Sarah seems to be really good at predicting what people would want to know the answer to. Because I'm sure you can't answer everything. I'm sure people come up with questions you just didn't even think about. So therefore, you couldn't have found an answer for it. But the fact that she's thinking ahead, being like, I bet when somebody's reading this, they'll want to know how this is happening. So I will give them that. Mm-hmm. I think it takes some insight into your readers to be able to put that in
0: she might not have done it alone either. Like she might have, but she might also have, you know, people, friends maybe, or just beta readers who read through this or her editor even, and, you know, might say, why this? And she's like, Oh, I can, I can say why that. But point. I, I like to believe it's just purely her own genius.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I kind of forgot that like, you don't just write a book once that you rewrite it over and over until yeah. it's,
0: it gets yeah. to its
1: final draft. If there's a big process. <laughs>
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so as they are traveling along to terracin and you know they're it's kind of nice for aelin actually to have like this little yes they're traveling yes there's like these really high stakes but she is able to steal some moments away with rowan and that's kind of lovely for them
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. good for you but i just can't Every time I, like, think of this scene, I always think of, like, the frogs in the pond because they particul- they talk specifically about, like, going into this, like, almost, what do you call it? like, hot spring kind of pond mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or creating a hot spring out of a pond with yeah. their magic. Yeah. And then they, like, talk about, like, the fish and the frogs, like, burning from them making it into a hot tub. And I just can't get that picture out of my head. And I'm so grateful that they didn't do that because that's really sad. It's, like kind of a funny visual but then when you think about what actually is (laughs) happening you're like oh that's disturbing and I'm so glad that didn't happen
0: here I am a frog just happily living my life in this Mm. pond that I'm built for why is it so hot (laughs)
1: yeah (laughs) oh my gosh I just thought that was such an interesting detail to put in (laughs) (laughs) sorry I'd forgotten about that
0: (laughs) oh dear Oh, my. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, Adeon has actually set up a meeting between Aelin and the Lords of Terracen.
1: Mm-hmm. This is
0: super crucial to her quest <laughs> to retake Terrasyn and make things right. But <clears throat> things don't necessarily go as they expected.
1: No, they don't. They ended up meeting with a Lord Darrow, Ren, and Ren's grandfather, who we had previously met. And initially they were going to meet in the field that they were camped out in, but it started to rain. So they decided, the, the Lords decided they can't be meeting in the field in the rain and asked them to meet in a pub instead, which was really unnerving because to change a location in a high stakes meeting like this, it's kind mm-hmm. of like you take the advantage and put it on to mm-hmm. the people in the pub versus being in neutral location. Mm-hmm. So that was like kind of the first clue that this is could potentially go very badly. Mm-hmm. Then they end up going and we know Ren and his grandfather are good people. Like they they seem really nice and sweet. And but Darrow, we're we're just meeting Darrow for the first time. And I have to say I hate this man. With a passion. Terrible. Yeah. He is the worst. He's the worst. The worst. He's just the worst. En- <laughs> we can say it a million times because that's how much he's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> he ends up denying Aelin's claim to the throne. And there's a law that if there's no rightful ruler or heir, then the Tarrison just becomes ruled by the lords. So it's very much in his favor to deny her, because that Mm -hmm. means he gets to be essentially one of the rulers, and Mm -hmm. it's ruled more in a co-op than by one single person. So he's like, nope, me and the other lords are not agreeing to coming back, so therefore you can't come back because we don't view you as legitimate, so we get to continue to rule in your Mm -hmm. stead or like Mm -hmm. in the absence of a legitimate ruler. And he has the absolute audacity to suggest that the best thing Aylin could do for her country or her territory is to just marry someone with a big army. You know, do your womanly duty and go out and get married. Get us an army.
0: He doesn't know. He doesn't know who he's talking to.
1: No. He's just so upsetting. <laughs> I In my notes for this section... I simply put in the largest letters, (laughs) bolded capitals, rage. (laughs) Absolute rage filled me when reading this. I was so mad at him. And there's this one scene where Aylan is seeing like he's not convinced. And she's like, this is bigger than you. This is bigger than Tarasen. If you don't agree to this, then you are setting us up for a world of darkness. Like we need to band together. We can't fight amongst ourselves. We need to all come together. So she kind of takes all the light out of the room using her magic being like, if you go forward, like this is what you need to get used to is like darkness. Like this is what the world is going to be. And he takes out a match and just lights a candle stating something along the lines of, I can make my own light or something. It was just so incredibly frustrating i mean i guess if she had done something like that in reverse i'd be like yeah go (laughs) like thinking it's like a badass move but the fact that he did it i'm just like no
0: i think it was a pretty badass move but i hate that guy yeah i think he is so blissfully unaware as to the danger that they actually face he has Mm -hmm. no effing clue
1: and will not listen to reason at all. He's just, it's almost like he's like power hungry mm-hmm. in a sense that like he's been ruling in the absence of a heir and he doesn't want to give that up.
0: Yeah. I, uh... <sighs> but it's not even just the fact or like the information he gives, which is like the Lords of and do not recognize he was a legitimate heir. Or mm-hmm. we recognize you as th- an heir, but princess. you're going to remain a princess of Terrison. but we do not recognize you as our queen, as our mm-hmm. ruler. It's not even that, because you can say that. It's the way he goes about it. Mm-hmm. Because you can, if you look between the lines of his r- <laughs> rudeness, <laughs> mm-hmm. you can see a few points. Yeah, a 19-year-old is a a person also who hasn't been raised in a way to become a ruler Mm -hmm. is, is a uh, unsettling prospect to rule over your lands. I get it. However, he doesn't know Aelin and he, he does or and Selena or whatever. He doesn't know, like he has no idea what he's dealing with here. So I think it was pretty Mm -hmm. um, arrogant of him to assume that he knows what's best given that he has actually very little information as to the entire situation that that they could all be in.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, and when he, as you said, he's like rude, but he goes beyond just being rude and like doesn't just say like, we don't recognize you, but like chooses to insult everyone there as well yeah. and bring up their past and how it makes them not worthy of yeah. being in the position that they are claiming they should be in. Like goes after Adia and goes after Lysandra. Like mm-hmm. I think that's when I think Galen he's pretty kind of classic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely coming through. Yeah,
0: but Ailin manages to hold on to her temper pretty good, except for one little slip where she kind of chucks a dagger at him and it goes between it's his a fingers. But he deserved it. In fact, it would have been better if he was maybe even missing a finger. But she didn't do that. Good for her. <laughs> But she, re- she promises that she will return to Tarasyn no matter what. And that if Terracen needs an army, then she will deliver.
1: Mm-hmm. No, she just kind of was like, this is what it is. I will make do with my situation.
0: Yeah. She's- go from there. I actually thought that her approach was quite mature. Because when she left, she was like, yeah, I can do what he said. And I will. Mm-hmm. Rather than just you know burning him,
1: <laughs> yeah, she's very determined.
0: Yeah, she's also very cunning. So she's she surprises me again and again with her smart and clever plans. Mm-hmm. So, but then word arrives that Rifthold is under attack by the Wyverns.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so remember the little Wyvern gift that the little folk had left behind. This is probably why.
1: <laughs>
0: so <laughs> that's when the plan is devised to send Rowan to Rifthold to help Dorian. And that's that's how and why Rowan showed up just at the time that he did. Mm-hmm. Aelin, Lysandra, and Adion decide to make their way down there, but we'll meet everybody in Skull's Bay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Evangeline and Fleetfoot will stay with uh, Ren's grandpa Murtaugh. Yeah. So the little folk left another gift, one in the shape of Branon's temple
1: mm-hmm. and one
0: in the shape of a white stag. And at this point, Aelin is taking these little gifts pretty seriously. So mm-hmm. she sees that as an order.
1: Yeah. And she knows exactly where they have to go next, which is a little coastal town called Ilium. It's still within uh, Tarasen's territory. But it's, I think, kind of on the edge, close to Ardellan, and at this point, it is being taken over by, by Artelinian soldiers. So it's kind of, yeah, just being taken over by them. Mm-hmm. There's it's a occupied. couple of things occupied. Yes, there's a few little things that we learn about the culture of Terrasen specifically in that region, and in general. The first being that there used to be something called a sea dragon. And that was like a creature that used to exist, but has since become extinct as far as we know. And the sea dragons were linked to a people called... The Mycenaeans. Called the Mycenaeans. (laughs) Which... Have also kind of they've scattered. There's not too much known about them. They used to kind of hold Ilium, and they weren't like a typical ruler. They didn't. They weren't like a lord. They actually were a group of like crime lords, I believe is how hmm. it was put. Hmm. So, but they became kind of the legitimate people of that town. At some point, they ended up being wiped out. I think they chose not to like help Terrison in a war and. Their dragons and sea dragons ended up dying, and kind of on goes the story of how they've disbanded. But the second interesting thing that we learn about is something called the King's Flame Flower, which is a big symbol. It said that when a ruler of Terracen is kind of bringing prosperity and peace, then this flower will bloom. So having that flower bloom during your reign as heir is a very positive sign that you are supposed to be there and you are the right person for this kind of role. Mm -hmm. And yeah, do you think that this is going to come into play and that this is going to be kind of like the ultimate symbol at the end? I hope, but I also
0: think that it's probably going to be pretty epic, I would think and hope, (laughs) (laughs) especially given its name, the king's flame flower flame yeah like and given her 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 heritage i almost feel like it's it's not because they had talked about there was just one flower that would open i feel like when ailing goes back it's going to be like hills are going to be covered in
1: it like when Brannon was king because i think mm-hmm. when branon was king it was like they were yeah. Plentyful. But then yeah. since then, they've just kind of popped up here and there. Yep.
0: Yeah. I kind of have a feeling it would be like this really profound.
1: And kind epic of like signaling scene. to the people like, yeah. she's back. Yeah, she's exactly.
0: That's what I think. You cannot dispute this. I almost wonder because Darrow is still kind of a problem. I almost wonder mm-hmm. if if there's going to be something that happens between them and that flower is going to be kind of like this undisputable symbol that she is supposed to be there.
1: Mm-hmm. It's like the last perhaps, thing she needs to
0: yeah, conquer. But, when perhaps Neri a flower has bloomed under the lords of Tarasyn's rule. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, of course, Aelin has to take back Ilium from the soldiers. So that was sort of her first course of business there was to make sure that it remains under Terrison's rule. She's like, oh, you can't just take my city and get away with it. Like, no, Mm -hmm. that's not going to fly. So she does something we haven't seen her do before. And she ends up, she, like, obviously says, like, please leave. If you don't leave, then I'm going to have to intervene. Mm -hmm. And like a portion of the army chose to walk away, but there were some, the commander and some of the others who were standing their ground. And despite her begging them to go, she does have to then use a show of force. And she burns the commander from the inside out, turning him to ash. And this is like something we've never seen her do before. It's kind of like a a level up power. Mm -hmm. I don't play video games, but something to do with that. (laughs) Trying to make (laughs) a a reference. That works. That
0: works. It is, it is a level up. I kind of, when when we heard about her doing this, I immediately imagined, like, can you just imagine if she, like, worked on that some more? And then mm-hmm. when she was facing an army, and all of a sudden
1: it was just like, poof, ash. It's crazy to do it to one, but, like, a whole army. Kingdom That's of funny. Ash? Ooh! <laughs> just-
0: I I mean fire, ash, whatever you burn with fire, there's ash, but right? Yeah. Mm.
1: I mean, it's in the name. (laughs) 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 So after she takes Iliam back, she one of the reasons she went there was because the little well, the reason is because the little people, the little folk, sorry, sent her there. Mm -hmm. And she knows it's because it's a place where it's like almost like a pilgrimage situation where people mm-hmm. would go to like pay homage to Brandon. Mm-hmm. And she goes up to the spot where you're, I think it's like known that if you go up there, you can like speak to Brandon. but we know she actually can speak to the people who have since passed yes. and he shows up and they have a conversation. And the first thing she asks about, like he's about to go into his cryptic messages and she's like, well, hold up, buddy. I know how this goes. And I am done. I am going to be asking the questions here. Yeah. And she wants to know about Maeve because we just found out that Maeve has a fleet on its way and mm-hmm. they don't know it's, if it's to help her, if it's to join up with the Morath army or for some other reason. We don't know her intentions at this point. But we know she's a scary individual. So she wants to know more about Maeve. So Aelin asks Brandon if Maeve is a Valg. And he's like, no, she might be as cold as one. She might like have a spirit of a valve <laughs> which yeah. she's not. Yeah. And so that was kind of like her main question. She wanted to know, kind mm-hmm. of, you know, get to know your enemy, make your enemies mm-hmm. closer than your friends sort of situation. Mm-hmm. And then he's able to tell her sort of what he wanted to tell her, which is that there is a lock because of course there's a lock because there are keys. So there has to be a lock And he tells her she needs to find this lock. It's in the stone marshes in a sunken city. She's like, dude, like the stone marshes are a big place. Can you give me a bit more direction here? And he's like, oh, I fade away. (laughs) (laughs) Inconvenient
0: timing. (laughs) We can't make this too easy
1: for you. (laughs) (laughs) And Uh. just after he kind of floats away a Valg shows up and she's like, seriously, Brennan? You couldn't give me a heads up? And this isn't just any ordinary Valg. This is, one, he's wearing the skin of the chief overseer of Endovir. So there is some serious history here. Mm -hmm. When she sees this body, she instantly knows, oh, I completely gave away my location. That wasn't Mm -hmm. the smartest thing to do. And Erwin knows about my history. He knows my past, and he knows what sending this body means. But something else is really strange about the body: is when she goes to blast the body, she recoils because the body has a heart made of iron and wordstone.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: he, the it's very much like immune to her magic. Not necessarily mm-hmm. immune, because she, in the end, she does end up blowing it up, burning it down. But it takes like everything in her. Like Idian has to physically hold her up
0: mm-hmm. so she
1: can continue to use her magic on this particular valg. And at one point, it the body opens and you can like like the chest cavity, and there's literally nothing inside. It's like just a husk or like a like an outside. But Erwin is inside, but he's just like mist and eye, uh, red eyes. I was a little confused about this whole scene. I did it twice, and i think, like...
0: Yeah, me too. I think that's how, like, the pure form of a valk, that's how they look, is the, the black mist with, like, the eyes, and, like, it's hard to see their
1: shape. Well, we do get a physical description of them in Tower of Dawn.
0: hmm yes, but I, I think they also present with, like, this mist... The limbs coming out,
1: yeah. So maybe it was just he was there, but I was like, "How is he there?" And then just, I don't know, like can he just like fly? Like I'm like picturing like you know how in Harry Potter Voldemort can do like the fly thing. It's -hmm. like flies. Like like, does he just like "Eh, fly away? I don't know. I was. I'm sure it's, it makes complete sense, but like I wasn't computing what exactly was happening in that scene because it Erwin was confusing. Was physically there, but then he then he decided wasn't. to leave somehow.
0: Yeah, I don't know.
1: So that happened.
0: Yeah that that happened. <laughs> we're we're confused about it, but it happened. And he he was like mentally tormenting her, obviously, because this chief yes. overseer from Endovir he had whipped her. Yes, flogged and like her. Uh. So it's it's interesting how the Valg they they like to not only physically but also emotionally torment their victims.
1: They seem to really get off on that emotional torture.
0: They do. After this whole situation, Ailyn sails to Skulls Bay, and she arrives, mm-hmm. and she's <laughs> she tricks everybody because. They aren't sure if it's her because they're, they're meeting with Rolf and then Lysandra or well, we don't know. Then another Aylin comes in and then there's two Aylins there, but mm-hmm. it's Lysandra. One of them is Lysandra having she yeah. shifted into Aylin
1: It was a cool scene. Cause she shows up as Selena. Like she dresses as though she's Selena. She's acting very much like how she acted when she was Selena doing some callbacks to Assassin's Blade, really triggering Rolf (laughs) with her entrance. And then in walks Lysandra as A-Lynn, because she's like, oh, like, because Rolf doesn't know that Selena is A-Lynn. So -hmm. basically, like, Selena's like, I work for A-Lynn. Like, uh, let me introduce you to her. And then Lysandra walks in as A-Lynn, dressed in her typical garb. And he's like, you gotta be effing with me. Because he sees they're the same person. Yeah, I don't.
0: Know. I love that scene. <laughs> yeah, Selena so, or and Aylan, they're they're so dramatic,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: so dramatic. Yeah, it was, I think now it was that really I've
1: read the entire book, I love the scene even more.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: It was brilliant.
0: Yes, it was. The foreshadowing was bang on,
1: bang on. We actually find out that Rolf is I'm a mess. I'm going to say it wrong again. Mycenae. My mycenaean we find out that rolf is a mycenaean and i can't remember if he's like royalty or just part of that culture but he is stating he's unwilling to join aelin obviously the whole point of her being there is she wants him and the mycenaean peoples to join her mm-hmm. and he's saying nope we're we're not into that i'm not gonna also
0: do we're that. a dead people
1: yeah <laughs> yeah we, like, we're like, scattered there's a couple of us yeah. here but like most of us are scattered like this yeah this isn't happening
0: so after this meeting in skulls bay with rolf and he's like no i won't help you you horrible person <laughs> Un- <laughs> understandably i mean it's understandable yeah. from both sides she's all you shouldn't trade slaves and he's like but i want to and then she destroys <laughs> his whole plan and <laughs> like his <laughs> massive Livelihood, But she actually did some digging and she found out that he, since then he's kept up to his promise and he hasn't traded in slaves. Mm-hmm. Anyways, switching gears a little bit, we learn about something called the settling. So the settling is the transition when pure-blooded fae and some demi-fae, they go through this thing called the settling and it locks their bodies into their immortal youth. Mm-hmm. So... Because of their heritage, both Ailen and Adian have the potential to settle, but we actually don't know if they're going to
1: yet. Yeah. And it's like you don't know when, until it happens. It yeah. either happens at some point or you eventually age to a point where you're like, okay, clearly the time has passed and I'm not going to settle. It mm-hmm. was my understanding.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we don't actually learn too much about it at this point, but we do learn that it is possible. And now there's this big question mark whether they're either both immortal, both not, or one of them is and one of them isn't.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: that's a big question. Cause I think Aelin this whole time has been under the
1: assumption
0: that she wasn't going to settle.
1: Yes. I was under the assumption that also she was not going to settle. Mm-hmm. Now I think that the fact that it's being brought up is a strong chance that one or both of them. I think Adian has a pretty strong chance of settling because he comes from such a powerful... Like, his father's pure Fae. Mm-hmm. And a very powerful pure Fae. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, Aelin is also from a very powerful bloodline, even though it's not as directly related she to her. She just fey. has a lot
0: more human in her yeah. heritage, in her blood, than Adion does. But, like you said, she has this... Like, she's descended from Mala and Brannon, so...
1: Yeah, I think it's a strong, strong possibility they both settle. I think that'd be nice. It would be nice. So one thing that Aelin does when she's there in, I think this is potentially in Ralph's office that this happens, is she sends out a power or magic burst. And it seems as though it's just like potentially a show of power.
0: Rowan explains it away as a she has to kind of vent her power mm-hmm. and, like, release some of it because she has so much of it. If she doesn't, that it becomes a problem. So that's yes, how he explains right. it to Rolf because Rolf's like, what the?
1: Mm-hmm. And it seems like a really good explanation because we I think we, at some points, have even heard yep. that she needs to expel it. Yep. But what she actually was doing was signaling the vow because we know that just off of Skulls Bay on some of the other islands that Erwin has been doing experiments. Like we mentioned earlier, he's making the sea Waverins, and that's happening like very close to Skulls Bay. So she's actually signaled them and she's done something really, really sneaky here and quite manipulative. She's basically set an attack on Skulls Bay. So Rolf is forced to agree to join her and, and then she will save Skulls Bay. So you join my side, and I will make the Val go away.
0: Yeah, I'll fight for you if you're on my side. But if you're not, then
1: yeah, good luck. You're left. And yeah. this is a touchy subject because, like, that area was already attacked by the Valg, and he's already Rolf has already had experience with this, and I think he's quite frightened by them. He is. What What did you think about this tactic that Ailyn? Do you think she went too far here?
0: I think that. No, I don't think so, given the... I, She needs his fleet. She has, mm-hmm. like, you know, her her firepower, for lack of a better word. Like, she needs armies, and she needs ships. Mm-hmm. Thinking about what could happen if the Valg win, it's essentially an apocalypse. So I think that although it was underhanded and definitely morally gray or even morally black (laughs) um (laughs) i think that it they're pressed for time she could tell he wasn't gonna help her she had Mm -hmm. to force his hand
1: yeah i think she knows that if they do nothing he's gonna lose anyways Mm -hmm. so at least this gives them a fighting chance
0: if If they do nothing, not only is he going to lose, but the potential is that the rest of the world could lose too. Mm -hmm. So I think that when you think about it that way, it's easier to swallow. If it wasn't such a threat to the rest of the world that they're living in, then I think Mm -hmm. it would have been probably a pretty bad thing to do. Like if it was just a fight for power. Right. Yeah. Like and conquering and just power and everything. But it's not about that. It's about like saving everybody from this evil. Like just so. Yeah. No, I think that it definitely wasn't like morally correct. If you look at it just for what it is and if you look at how frightened Rolf was and all the innocent people in Skulls Bay that could Mm -hmm. be involved and die. But when you back up and you look at the big picture, it is the right thing to do, I think.
1: Yeah, the stakes were high enough that made it the right call, even though it was, like you said, a morally not great decision. Yeah. In the eventual battle that takes place, something really awesome happens. And Lysandra becomes a sea dragon. And part of the reason why she did this is, see, like they talk a lot about symbols in the first part of this book. And sea dragon is a symbol for the Mycenaean people, mm-hmm. and it is said in like the legend that when the sea dragon returns, then the people will band together again. Mm-hmm. And this is a plan that Lysandra and Aelin have been concocting for a while, because if we jump back to when they're in the temple, yes, Lysandra actually perches up as some bird on the rafters and looks down at a beautiful carving on the floor of a sea dragon. Mm-hmm. And she's actually studying the body of it so that she can transform into it because this is the biggest creature she's ever morphed into. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's taken her a lot of like studying and she's like reading this book about deep sea creatures. Like you see all these clues, but you have no idea that they're clues until this moment. And this is big, not only for her as a shapeshifter, but for the Mycenaean people because they are like stoked. The The ones, the individuals who are able to see it they're like, oh, this, it does mean something. It's a huge symbol. Oh, it's huge. It's, yeah.
0: Very cool. I love that detail yeah.
1: that they put in there.
0: Yeah. So she's also, not only is she a sea dragon, which is a massive symbol for the Mycenaean people and a big morale boost, I'd say. <laughs> it's also, she's also a weapon in her sea dragon form and can attack from below. Mm-hmm. While they're this having, and. Aelin wants to also demonstrate her firepower and mm-hmm. show, like, make a statement. And she ends up deciding to use the word key to enhance her power. But when she does this, the goddess Diana ends up possessing her body, and <laughs> this is this is not good because Diana, uh, she's the goddess of the hunt. And Mm -hmm. she is a goddess, and so she doesn't have, like, all of these sort of human concerns, you know? Like, she doesn't really care who lives and dies. Mm -hmm. So, she's, Aelin's got, like, this massive, like, fire thing going on. Deanna turns it into moonfire, because she's also goddess of the moon, (laughs) by the way. She's goddess of a few things. (laughs) And she ends up, like, taking this fire of aliens and turning it into what is called moon fire, which it's described as being the cold white light stolen from the stars. Uh, Rowan also notes in the book that the fire so cold that it would burn. So it's, it's burning so coldly. <laughs> so
1: oh, interesting. Yeah. So that's,
0: it's pretty disastrous because Deanna starts turning her attention to like, I'm going to blast, I'm going to blast skulls Bay and all the innocent Mm -hmm. people. And people are going like, Whoa, wait, like, and they see it as a win. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They're like, why is she turning on us? Yeah,
0: exactly. So yeah, (laughs) it's a pretty tense moment. Mm -hmm.
1: And thankfully due to their, at this point, has to be mated bond. We don't know at this point, but Rowan steps in front of her and is like, if you're going to blast this city, you're going to have to blast me first. And Mm -hmm. that is enough to make Aelin take control back of her body. Mm -hmm. And which, why I say it, I think it, again, reiterates that they must be mates is because I think you can't harm your mate as part of the rules, it would so harm it, your,
0: your own self if you harm your mm-hmm. mate, so that makes sense.
1: So that was a gamble on his part, but it paid off, and she is able to uh, like take her body back. But she's kind of wrecked. Her plan has not go- gone the way she wants it to. But thankfully, Lysandra is an absolute queen— and deserves that title in my opinion and better get it by the end because she <laughs> yeah. has yeah. done so much in the last two books oh my gosh that she completely saves the day like she just takes on the rest of the battle herself and destroys the ships like, she just <gasps> she does it all all by herself she, I mean she has a little help like it's practically lift. all by herself
0: because it's, Aelin's basically like oh yeah I gotta swim to shore this is dangerous yeah. So, Lysandra's just out there fighting everybody's battles. She actually is. uh, Why isn't she the main character of this story? (laughs) I love Lysandra so much. I know. She's amazing. She's basically like, is there slack? I'll pick it up and then some. (laughs) And never complains about it. No.
1: Just like quietly goes about. Like, she's very reserved in a lot of ways, but then it's a voice mode. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, and she is saved by Adian because there is—he's up on the tower. Remember, way back in Assassin's Blade, the tower that Sam was manning. Yeah, Adian is manning. Adian and Dorian are manning the towers, and he has only a couple shots, and he's—he's used a couple already. He had three, and I think he's down to his last one, and. She has a wavern that she's a sea wavern that she's trying to get, like kill. And they team up in such a way that because she's like smaller than them, she's more agile, mm-hmm. and just so happens to work out that Adian is able to do a kill shot of the wavern, and she's able to get away. And she's like busted at this point. Like she, if this didn't work, she was done. Yeah, it was very, very touch and go. If this was the end for it, her. It, it sounded like
0: if one of those sea wyverns, like, got a hold of her and chomped, that that would be it for her. Like, they were that yeah. much bigger than her. Because and the she ones she that? was fighting at the beginning of the battle were actually babies. Mm, and she right. killed them. And and that was the whole Val plan. Because... The sea wyverns are very, very extremely protective of their young ones. And Mm -hmm. when they smelled the blood of their babies having been spilt, then the adults came and the babies were bigger than her. So you can just imagine how like a fully grown adult one was. And they were like in a frenzied rage because of what had happened to the babies.
1: Yeah. And she couldn't beat them with strength. She had to be like tactical about it. Yeah. Yeah. But it was it was very very intense reading that scene and it was. like at some points i thought she was not going to pull through but adian was able to get the last wavering down so that she could come up on land but she didn't have enough magic left in her to transform so they had to like kind of heal her in the sea dragon form and she's kind of out of it and adian like confesses his love for her. And he's like, I'm going to marry you one day. And this is something we've been kind of, he's been hinting at his feelings towards her, but given both their past has been very like slow to acknowledge it and tell her Mm -hmm. about it. But Mm -hmm. he's like, she won't remember this. So he's like, I love you and I'm going to marry you. Yes. It was really, really sweet. It was
0: sweet. After this um, huge battle which they thankfully, because of Lysandra, owned it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Lysandra. Ailen's <laughs> plan went to, all to heck because of the, the word key and the disastrous use to, use of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ailen and Rowan decide we're gonna we're gonna have sex now. <laughs> That's <laughs> what happens. I'm, I'm so immature. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, so they end up doing that multiple times on the beach. On the beach, how romantic! How romantic and sandy and uncomfortable. But anyways, so they end up doing it on the beach, <laughs> and it's Sorry, kinda, that was I know, <laughs> and it's like a claiming, like a I want to I want to say it's like a mate claiming, but but it, that isn't said in the book,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it does. There's a quote where she feels the claiming in her bones and her soul. So I would assume that mm-hmm. if they are mates, then their mate bond has solidified there if, if yeah. that's what's going on there. So this is the first actual spicy scene where someone goes all the way.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I actually quite liked the use of their magic involved in the process. It's like <laughs> yes. he, she was like on fire and yeah. he was like shielding himself with his power so that he didn't burn. And it's like, Like, you're picturing it, not in a creepy way, but, like, because you're reading it. And it's just, like, this ball of flame and then this, like, ball of wind on the beach doing their thing.
0: I was imagining it not quite like that, but (laughs) I guess everybody – I was imagining her, like, burning so brightly that she was actually, like, her skin was glowing.
1: Oh, that sounds way prettier then.
0: But then also flames coming off of her. That's Mm -hmm. how I was imagining her.
1: But yeah, that's much more yeah. romantic than what I had going on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Aelin ends up speaking with Elena, and we discover that Malafirebringer is Aelin's sorry, is Elena's mother. Yeah. So, not only did she kind of bless Brandon, but Elena is the daughter of Branon and Mala herself, which is really cool, and also means there is a direct blood link between Aelin and Mala, which yes, I think we might have discussed earlier, but we we did discuss that earlier,
0: but I want to just touch on this because so Mala is a goddess, but she gave up her goddess life f- so that she could live a mortal life with Branon. So I'm just wondering. Mm-hmm. When they conceived Elena, was she still a goddess or did she become mortal first? Oh. Because because I'm just thinking about Lorcan and how he's mm-hmm. a direct descendant from Hellas, right? And I'm just now wondering, does Aelin actually have goddess blood or is it changed somehow because mm-hmm. she gave up her goddess life for mortal life?
1: Interesting.
0: That's just a question I have rolling around yeah. in the old noggin.
1: I mean, I imagine her blood would still be the same. Yeah. If DNA works the same. Who knows how (laughs) DNA works for gods and yeah, immortal creatures. I don't know. They did
0: mention earlier that um, Elena had said to Aelin, you know, why do you think you burn so brightly? And it was during this revelation, right, that Mm -hmm. it's because she has Mala's blood as well, but I'm just curious to know the logistics like does it make Mm -hmm. a difference if she's in goddess form did she have to you know give up all of her goddessness and transform into a mortal but obviously they still had that firebringer gift so Mm -hmm. anyway I'm just kind of that's not super clear to me but it's maybe a little bit irrelevant but
1: so interesting though
0: it is yeah it's kind of neat to think about so then they, they all decide. Aelin decides to take the ships that she now has <laughs> to the marshes, the Stone Marshes, to find that word lock that she was commanded to find. So mm-hmm. Aelin, Rowan, Lysandra, Dorian, Adian, Gabriel, and Fenris all travel to the marshes to find it. And then Rolf goes to Terracen to rally the Mycenaean people. Yes, Mycenaean <laughs> people. <laughs>
1: That's a lot of, I like that we're all coming together. This is kind of the first time in a long time that the majority of the characters are sort of in one place. Mm-hmm. And we actually get another character join because we had left Manon's story, but we weren't quite finished with it because at the very end of part one, we have Abraxis arriving with a nearly dead manon yeah and for some reason he decided to bring her to aelin ship i don't know how that wavering is so incredibly smart but he knew that that was the best place for her for some reason and she kind of like falls off of him and they you know lots of them have healing magic in this group are able to kind of get her cleaned up and start her healing process and now she's a prisoner <laughs> Can Not greatest, I just but...
0: propose a kind of a little theory
1: about mm-hmm. Abraxas
0: coming to the ship? Yes. Do you Do you think it has less to do with Aelin and more to do with Dorian and the potential matehood
1: that is there? That is, I did think that he was more so going to to Dorian. Yes, I 100% agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think he knows Dorian is her safe place for some reason. Yeah. And like somehow he knows that Dorian is safe for her. And yeah. I 100% think that that's why he chose that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point.
0: I just have a little question about Adrian's blood relation to Gabrielle. Mm-hmm. So there is a quote that I found in the book, and I just wanted to bring this up. Um, Ailin's wondering if the blood oath that Gabriel has sworn to Maeve will affect whether or not Maeve could claim ownership over Aideon's life in the future.
1: That'd be so intense if that was true.
0: Right? But she is I wondering mean, that. And it is a valid question.
1: It is a valid question, and it is a blood oath, and they share blood. And I yes. think it is also... I feel like Gabrielle also has concerns about this. hmm
0: Yeah. Because the only way to be released from it properly is either, I guess, she would have to release him, like she did with Rowan, or... Die,
1: <laughs> yeah. But then, would if he died, would it still be passed on to Adian?
0: Well, I f- that I think that's the concern is that it would be passed on to him. But I'm wondering about if Maeve died.
1: Oh, if Maeve died, yeah, yeah. If she died. Then it would obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Let's all pray for Adian's soul.
0: And meanwhile, Gabriel needs to stay alive so that Adian doesn't potentially become. Oh, no. I bet you that's going (laughs) to (laughs) happen. Oh, no.
1: Uh, Manon is being held prisoner. I think it's funny that they're like, Abraxas can just chill on the deck. We don't need to lock him up, but we're going to lock Manon up. Which I get why they lock her up. I just find it interesting that they're like, cool with Abraxas just chilling. (laughs)
0: I know. He's like, when you think about it, yeah, he's small for a a wyvern, but... He's still got, like, all them iron teeth. <laughs> yeah, he's oh still God. a
1: very, very intimidating beast. And, like, yeah. him and Lysandra, like, form this little bond. And mm-hmm. she, like, kind of, like, turns herself into a wavering. And, like, they go on little flights together. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cute. Yeah,
0: Abraxas is super cute. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. And one thing that Minon does do is she asks Dorian if he can find out some more information. Because, of course, he goes on, like chats with her and stuff and so she says like please find out about my 13 anything you can but she also says like please pass on to aelin that allied is alive Mm -hmm. because she knows that like aelin would really want to know that information and she knows allied would want her to pass that on too Mm -hmm. so i thought that was really nice of her that in all of the things that are going on for her she still remembers allied and remembers the connection
0: yeah it's pretty incredible
1: that is everything for part one of empire of storms so next week we'll be continuing on and discussing part two we hope to see you there bye bye for now